Well, for the second time this year, I get to say this. I'll bet you aren't expecting to hear from me so soon, but here I am, back with another bonus episode. Surprise! Or maybe it's more appropriate to say trick or treat. Because this episode is arriving on Halloween, and this year Christmas Past is masquerading as Tis the Podcast. So if things sound a little different in this episode, that's because they are. If you haven't heard Tis the Podcast before, well, A, you're about to, sorta, and B, you're really missing out. Hosts Julia, Tom, and Anthony discuss the Christmas movies and TV specials you love, and they put out episodes all year round. Julia and Anthony were kind enough to make themselves available for this episode, and I hear they're also planning to have their podcast masquerade for Halloween, but I'm not going to give away any surprises. You'll just have to subscribe to them to get in on all the fun. Before we jump into things, I have a few announcements, because there have been a lot of developments in 2018. This podcast is just one part of the ever-expanding world of Christmas Past. First, there's the all-new site at christmaspast.media, and yes, that is the address, christmaspast.media. I'm publishing quizzes, videos, infographics, interviews, articles, special announcements, and of course, that's where you can also find all past episodes of this show. And I'm putting out content year-round. There's also the new Christmas Past YouTube channel featuring my Christmas trivia game show, unboxings and giveaways, fun little Christmas history lessons, Q&As, special announcements, and there's a lot more in the pipeline. There's also my sticker giveaway. If you review the show on Apple Podcasts, I'll send you a Christmas Past sticker along with a handwritten note of gratitude. And if you leave that review before November 15th, you'll also be entered to win a gift box from My Christmas Crate. And finally, there's the new Christmas Past Facebook group. But actually, I prefer to think of it more as a Facebook family. Because we're a tight-knit crew having real discussions and connections. So if you're tired of those Facebook Christmas groups where people post the same recycled memes and stock photos over and over again, then I'd love to welcome you to our family sometime soon. Okay, I know that was a lot. And believe it or not, that's not all of it. There's even more in the pipeline, but I have to keep my lips sealed for the moment. The best way to get more info on all of this is to come to christmaspast.media. At the bottom of every page, you'll find links to everything I just described. But getting back to the matter at hand, how do we combine Christmas and Halloween for this bonus episode? Well, with a Christmas ghost story, of course. There's a great history of Christmas ghost stories from the Victorian era and even before that, but most of them don't remain popular today. Except for one, of course, A Christmas Carol. So I hope you enjoy listening as Julia, Anthony, and I discuss the 1984 made-for-TV movie version of A Christmas Carol starring George C. Scott. And I'll be back again very, very soon for the official start of the 2018 season of Christmas Past. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Tis the Podcast, the podcast dedicated to keeping the Christmas spirit alive 365 days a year. I'm Julia. I'm Anthony. And I'm Brian. (laughs) And I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) Now, I'd like to wish all of you a happy Halloween. As you might know, this is a special bonus episode of Christmas Past, where I'm going this year as Tis the Podcast, the podcast that reviews Christmas TV and movies uh, all year round. 
So, um, Anthony and Julia, you've been kind enough to join me here to talk about uh, a classic Christmas movie, and that is A Christmas Carol, the George C. Scott version from 1984. Yes. Yeah. Might I just say I'm loving your costume. Is it really? Yeah. But I'll get to that in histories. (laughs) What was that? I, I missed that part. I'll get to that in history, my history, oh, more I detailed. See. But yeah, this is my first time seeing it. Really? Mm-hmm. So you must have uh, another version that you're more familiar with. Oh, yeah. I'm familiar with a lot more more versions, but uh, this is my first time seeing this one. So should The we... Alistair Simmons one is usually the one my go-to. Now, you know what? It's interesting. I mean the exact opposite. I have never seen the Alistair Sim version until I was researching this episode. And I looked at just little snippets of it online. Uh, and yeah, when we get into, you know, talking about the details of this one, we can make a little comparison between that and some of the other ones as well. Uh, it's kind of interesting how they all differ and how they're all the same. And it's uh, interesting to me, frankly, how any of them are, are still around. This is just such something that is very much of its time. The whole idea of ghost stories for Christmas just doesn't even exist anymore, except for this one example that we keep telling mm-hmm. over and over again. So there's a lot to, to unpack here. And um, I don't know if we want to just jump right into it or, or um, I don't know what else we can do. Yeah, let's just yeah, jump right into it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, the brief synopsis. There are a couple different ways we can go here, but to make it a true brief synopsis, why don't I just give you this one from IMDb? An old bitter miser who rationalizes his uncaring nature learns the real uh, learns real compassion when three ghosts visit him on Christmas Eve. I don't know why, but I feel like we've talked about this before. <laughs> Multiple times. But, you know, it's an oldie but a goodie. You can't go wrong with that synopsis. Nope, you can't. So have you, you've reviewed uh, previous versions of, of the movie, right? Yes. Well, I guess we've previously reviewed previous and former <laughs> versions of the mm-hmm. story. We've done how many now? Five? We've done at Four? least five. I feel like we've been hitting it hard. <laughs> <laughs> we've done we've done at least five movies and then a graphic novel version batman mm. version that they did yeah now have all of them been Please. uh true adaptations or some of those christmas specials that sort of have a, a christmas carol-ish theme i think one was a. Uh, not a true adaptation, and that was all american christmas carol oh is that the one with kelsey Grammer? No, oh, no, this is better. With, um, <laughs> this one was with who was it? Uh, Beverly D'Angelo. Oh, not familiar with that it one was, at all. Don't familiarize <laughs> yourself with that one. The so this one we talk about today will be the most true to book version we've covered, mm-hmm. I think, um, as far as hitting most of the points. I don't know about that. And it's true that um, for all the movie versions, there really aren't too many that are literally true to book. They all deviate in some important way. And we can talk about that when it comes to the George C. Scott version. There are a couple little inconsistencies and some nitpicky things that we can get into once we dive in. But how about we start with our personal histories? Uh, We could do Christmas Carol in general or this movie in particular. How about uh, you want to start, Anthony? Yeah, I'll start. So... 
well, why don't we do both? So a Christmas Carol, the book, the novella has been a part of my life since from a very young age. Um, I was probably introduced to the story via, I don't know if it was, I don't know what was the first version I saw. Maybe it was a Flintstones version or whatever. I feel like every cartoon that had a Christmas special has done this at some point. Every 90s, 80s TV show has done their own version of this. And there have been countless movies. So it's always been a part of my Christmas in some form or another. But um, when I first read the book, uh, I loved it. It's one of my favorite. It is my favorite Christmas novel, novella, story, whatever you want to call it. And um, there's just something timeless about it. Um, as for, like I said earlier, this version, this is my first time seeing this version. I knew it existed, but this is my f- the first time I actually sat down to watch it. And uh, yeah, I thought it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll dig into that a little bit more, I hope. Um, yeah. Yeah, there, it's, yeah, we'll, we'll get into all that. Uh, Julia, your personal history. Um, very similar on the first part. I love the novella. I love the story in all of its retellings. I like the idea of um, redemption story in general. That tends to be one of my favorite themes in most things I read, see, listen to. So this one definitely hits on that multiple times. Um, as far as the specific version, this is one of those I remember seeing but not understanding what I was seeing when I was a kid. Um, I remember being on TV but just being very confused by most of it. Um, I have not revisited it since since watching it last night for this for this episode and I remembered how much I was weirded out by it, but also simultaneously I really appreciated it last night when I watched it. Um, I think for 1984 it was impressive with some of the stuff it did. Um, not my favorite Christmas Carol. I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point. Um, but I was very happy to watch it last night. What about you? What's your history? Well, my history is I remember this from growing up. I will say full disclosure that a Christmas Carol is just not one of my favorite things about Christmas. I never really related to the story. It's it's okay. It's fine. It's kind of like some of those Christmas songs that you hear on the radio and you're like, yeah, you know what? I can stomach this, but I'm not going to like go seeking it out on my own. Um, and I'm not really even sure I have a favorite version of the movie. But if I had to pick one, it would probably be this one for reasons that we can go into uh, later on. Uh, I have read the book in its entirety I've, I've um, uh, many times. I have audiobook versions. There's a really good one where Jim Dale, who narrates all of the Harry Potter uh, books, the audiobook versions oh, of Harry Potter, yes. he narrates the story. You can find it on YouTube, I think. Uh, there's another version. Ooh, I gotta look that up. Yeah, uh, there's another version where Patrick Stewart reads it uh, that I have on CD that I get from way back when. I listen to that every now and then, more because I like Patrick Stewart, uh, which isn't to say that I like his movie version. I did not care for that one at all, even though I love everything he does. The movie version was not super great for me, uh, but his his reading, he did this live stage reading, which I, I really think was fantastic. So all in all, it's really hard for me to say how much I like or dislike this version of the movie because I'm not really on a level playing field from from the get-go. I I don't really care for A Christmas Carol uh, all that much. So can I make a quick correction to my history? Please do. 
Mickey's Christmas Carol was the first one I saw, and I can't believe I forgot that because we just covered that one, and I said it on that episode. But uh, you know that was the first one I saw. That might actually be my favorite version, and not the movie version. I had a a record. So people, some people listening have no idea what I'm talking about. There used to be these circular things that you put on a machine <laughs> that spun round and round, and it would tell you a story, and it would say, whenever you hear the chimes ring, it's time to turn the page. And it came with this little book, and I still have that. Maybe I'll post a picture of it on my Facebook group, because um, I break those out every year. I'm in my mid-40s. I don't have kids, and I listen to these things uh, every year. And the level of shame in my game is holding steady at 0%. I listen to those, and I don't care who knows it. So, so what is it you don't like about the story overall, if you don't mind me asking? Um, so I think when it comes to Christmas stories, there's a couple of very basic categories, right? There's, there's this one. There's someone who is in a bad place and just needs to learn the true meaning of Christmas. Then there are the rom-coms, and then there are the kids' movies, most of which are about, like, some beloved character needs to save Christmas because it's in danger. Like, someone's trying to stop it or, you know, Santa gets hurt or something along those lines, right? Those are your three basic Christmas stories. And I feel like everything uh, that has, you know, the, the character that needs to learn the true meaning of Christmas plot comes from this one. And... Maybe it's just because I've seen it recycled over and over again so many times that I've just grown weary of it. Uh, it's kind of hard to remember if I actually liked this when I was growing up. I, I don't really recall having super fond memories of it. And then also it just seems like something that is so much of its time, this Victorian idea of ghost stories for Christmas that I just I can't relate to because it's not something that we do anymore. And maybe that would be an interesting place to take the discussion like why – did Victorians and other people like to tell ghost stories at Christmas? And then what happened? Why don't we do it anymore? So I did a little research on that. I don't know if you guys have any background on on why these things happened. Um, it doesn't seem to be a, a super interesting story. It's not like it was a trend that someone started. It was just this old folk tradition that came out of uh, the winter months where, you know, during the winter, the nights are longer. People want to be closer together for a number of reasons. And around the end of the year is especially when we remember family and the people who have gone are no longer with us. And so ghost stories really became more of a winter storytelling tradition in all parts of, of Europe. Uh, and it never really made it over to uh, America. So, I mean, that's that's the long and the short of it. And it's interesting that Christmas ghost stories have a pretty long history. The Christmas Carol is just one of many. The, and even Dickens had a couple others. There was one called something like The Chimes and the Haunted Man. Um, the Cricket on the Hearth isn't really a ghost story, but I, you know, there's some supernatural elements to it. Uh, and then there were a bunch of other ones by minor writers. And uh, apparently Dickens used to... Uh, edit some kind of short story publication that came up. Maybe it was like a monthly or something like that. And it would always have ghost stories in it. So this this whole idea of ghost stories is just something that I, I don't relate to at all. And the thing I find interesting is there was a song that came out in the 60s, I believe, from Andy Williams, The Most Wonderful Time of the Year, where he says, you know, they'll be caroling out in the snow. There'll be scary ghost stories. And I always wondered, like, why would there be scary ghost stories? I have never heard a scary ghost story, or no one's ever told me one at Christmas. Uh, and I really wouldn't call A Christmas Carol a scary ghost story. And I think that's the other distinction. Most of the ghost stories we're familiar with are scary ghost stories. 
you know, this tortured spirits haunting me. Whereas in the Victorian tradition, spirits were, you know, almost like fairies or elves. They were just these supernatural beings who maybe came to uh, offer help or messages from the other side. Uh, really ties in with that whole Victorian spiritualism movement, you know, the the, the table knockers and the, those kinds of things with the seances. All of that stuff was really, really popular back then. And it's just not anymore. And so, so was this not meant to be a little bit scary? Like I'm trying to rem- I'm trying to think because obviously it's been told over and over and over again, and Christmas has become something different than what it was. So mm-hmm. I don't think anyone that tries to do it now tries to make it overly scary. But when Dickens wrote it, was it not supposed to be a little bit creepy? Like this ghost story of this uh, old bitter man. Uh, essentially being shown his grave and how he's going to die all alone if he doesn't change his ways. I would imagine there was supposed to be a little bit of, of uh, eeriness to it. And especially in you know the version that we're about to discuss, they try to make it about as scary as you can uh, for the subject matter at hand and for like a 1984 made-for-TV movie. Uh, it's certainly the darkest of all of them. And sure, like, you know, he's obviously very, very scared in any version that you read when Jacob Marley shows up. Um, you know, there's a lot of, of atmosphere of him being alone in a, an old cavernous house where all kinds of things like that could happen. So um, I would, yeah, I would imagine that it was meant to to send chills down the spines of those reading it to to some extent anyway. Well, ghost stories seem so different then than they are now, right? So then they had a a moral to the ghost story, <laughs> sort of. Like with with Ebenezer Scrooge, it's not just scary because a ghost is standing there, but it's like terrifying that his life is going this way that he should be scared more for he should change than oh my gosh, there's a there's a ghost standing in front of me. <laughs> we don't have ghost stories like that anymore. Ours are just for does, here. Does it? Doesn't Krampus in Germany still push those same buttons? He's still around, right? That tradition? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think he originates from Austria, and he's still around. Like, he's around here, too. I think in Pennsylvania, he's a really popular figure. Um, Forget why that is, but they have a Krampus festival. That was always the side of Christmas that I I never related to at all. Um, Like, all the the weird or gross or scary parts of— and maybe that's why I'm, I'm not quite as into A Christmas Carol— as others, it just seems like a, a different kind of of story. Um, so, I have two questions for you. Have you seen the man who invented Christmas, the Charles Dickens story about how he, no, when that, he wrote a Christmas? Card? That is currently number two in my Netflix queue right now. So, when that comes, I'm gonna uh, check that out. It's really good. It is <laughs> and, really good. Uh, we liked it. Yeah. And have you seen the Krampus movie with Adam Scott? No, and I probably never will. Oh, no. Like, it's really good. Like, that one surprised us all. Really? Really surprised me. And I'm the least in, I don't, I'm the one that really doesn't love the horror movies, probably, of all three of us. Mm-hmm. Um, And I really enjoyed that one. All right. It was maybe, fun. Maybe I'll give it a try. <laughs> So all of this Dickens stuff, I should say, uh, living in the San Francisco Bay Area, as I do, every year there's something called the Dickens Fair. And it's held um, just about a half an hour from where I live. And if you can imagine a Renaissance festival, but for Christmas, that's the basic idea. Um, and that ex- that the way I just described it is actually bang on because the family that started this is also the family that started the Renaissance festivals. Uh, so this was back in the <sighs> 60s. 
And so they take an expo center in, in the outside of San Francisco and turn the insides into Victorian London and just dress up. It's almost like you're on the set of a movie. It's sort of like one of those enchanted villages, but it's life-size for adults. And there are, you know, chimney sweeps and Dickens characters and ghosts of Christmas past. They're just like all walking around. It's pretty awesome. Um, and I would say that if if I were to consider that some kind of immersive experience into A Christmas Carol, maybe that's my favorite version of the story because it's just a lot more fun. <laughs> uh, everyone dresses up in costume. It, it is uh, quite a bit of fun. But anyway, we're, magical. Oh, it is super magical. And I'll put uh, I'll put pictures on the Facebook group uh, because I'm going this year. Uh, sneak preview for the 2018 season of the podcast. I'm actually going with a press pass, uh, and I get to interview someone who dresses up as Charles Dickens, and I'm going to do a whole episode about Dickensian Christmas, and that is why the man who invented Christmas is currently in my Netflix queue, because I'm going to watch it as research. Ooh. Yay. That's so fun. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm excited. Should be a good time. Okay, so why don't we get into this version of the movie? Um definitely the darkest of all the the TV movie versions. Do you guys agree with that or do you have a different opinion? I would agree with that. Oh yeah, I would agree with that. Of the TV movie versions? Well, how about any version? I guess guess dark is in the eye of the beholder. I mean, it's literally darkest and there's a lot of that sort of moody atmosphere, lots of fog, lots of dark alleyways, lots of that kind of thing. Disney did a lot of creepy things with their animated one. I wouldn't say that's like Marley. That was my creepiest Marley. Are you talking about the goofy Marley? The the Jim Carrey one. Oh, that one. Oh, oh, I see. You know, I haven't seen that one. It, it's a very, it's a very um, hit or miss for a lot of people. But okay. I found like the animation for the ghost stuff pretty scary in that one. Okay, all right. So it's funny you mentioned that, Anthony. So I don't like the Jim Carrey Disney version of A Christmas Carol, but it is extremely similar to this one. Um, So was that the one you were thinking of, Anthony, when you said, I would argue that this is the most faithful retelling that we've seen to this date, at least the Tis the Podcast side of it. Is that the one you were thinking of? I would say, yeah. In in terms of the ones we've covered so far, that one is probably... yeah. The most faithful, I would absolutely whether or not. agree. Yeah. yeah. So this one, um, I didn't like the Jim Carrey one because it was one of those movies that's filmed intentionally for 3D. And that really drove me crazy, which that's probably my own bias getting in the way of like, I couldn't look past that. That's my own problem. Um, but I, this one is really dark. I totally agree with Brian on that one. Um even down, like past production value down to the way the ghosts act. They're a little harsher than your standard ghost fare. Um, so, yeah, I, I really liked that about this one. And I guess that's the ghost element that I appreciate about this story. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt chilling. So I have a question for you guys because I haven't – Full disclosure, I haven't read the book in a while, and there have been so many different versions of this story, it's kind of hard to tell what originated in the book and what became popular via other, uh, you know, adaptations. 
But in this one, I felt screw. it took Scrooge a little longer than it normally does to start having a change of heart. I feel like in a lot of the adaptations, mm-hmm. by the time he goes to his nephew Fred's house, you can see him starting to break. Mm-hmm. When this one, he just seemed, I was surprised by how defiant he still was, like arguing with them, brushing it off like he didn't care what they said about him. I, and I was really shocked by that aspect, how long it took him how long it took to see that switch in him because usually once he hits tiny Tim's house, that's when he really starts to break. Mm-hmm. And then by Fred, when they're making fun of him at Fred's house, that's when I've mentioned this before on this podcast, you know, it's, Oh, that scene is usually so uncomfortable for me. Like imagine hearing these people just talking horribly about you and you're just forced to watch. But this one, I was just yeah shocked by how defiant he was in the face of that all still. So I was wondering if you two, like in the book, is he still, is he that defiant at that part? Because in a lot of other mediums, he isn't. Uh, that's a good question. I, I would have to go back and reread that scene uh, to know. But th- actually, to, to sort of riff on what you said, that scene where he has to listen to everyone make fun of him, my favorite version of that is the Muppet Christmas Carol version. Where the yeah, where the look <laughs> on um, Michael Caine's face, like his face doesn't change very much when that's happening, but something about what he does in his performance, you can tell he's just burning with embarrassment. It's almost like his ears are turning red or something like that. Very, very mm-hmm. subtle performance that just says a lot with a little. And that's one of the things mm-hmm. I remember about that version of it the most is just that one particular moment. Um and I think it really goes into, you know, the, the character of Scrooge. And maybe that's something we can talk about is the different ways that he's portrayed. Because like I said before, I, I hadn't seen the Alistair Sim version, uh, but I had seen other ones. I'd seen the, you know, the, like a handful. And I checked out the Alistair Sim version to see how the performances compare specifically. And I feel like the Alistair Sim version is a little bit more like what it was described as in the book, where he's just, he's cold hearted, he's mean, he's angry, and there's almost like a, like less of a three dimensionality to him. He's just a bad guy. And in the George C. Scott version, you get the feeling that he's someone who's just very, like, just tired and depressed and, and just weary. Like, you get, you get this sense of his, his demeanor comes from this place of real pain. That's just I don't know if that if you guys felt the same way, but I just I felt like almost a little more empathy for Scrooge as George C. Scott played him. I would have I see for me, I was going to say the exact opposite about him. One of my complaints, for lack of a better word, was I think he made a really good Scrooge throughout the film until it came time when you're supposed to by that he changed i didn't feel he sold the change in mm. heart for me at the end did you compared guys- to alistair sims i feel like he did but did you see the patrick stewart version i did <laughs> so you remember that moment at the end when he's standing on the bed and he starts to laugh and it almost seems like he's vomiting like he's this laugh kind of like starts in his feet and he's like doesn't know what to do with it and it's like coming up his body and all like that that's how you do it the wrong way like that's taking it too far in the other direction and i kind of feel like this one it was just sort of like this is someone who's recovering from a clinical depression it seemed like which um really just seemed like a little more authentic to me it felt a lot more uh, believable Full disclosure, I like the Patrick Stewart version, but then again, Patrick Stewart can do no wrong. 
Um, so, that, I, so, oh, you go. No, ahead. no, go. No, Julia, go, please. Are you sure you're not complaining your thought? Uh, I'll hop in after you. Oh, all right. I, so I felt like George C. Scott's progression from how horrible he's supposed to be starting off and depressed and all of that, that kind of rang true to me. All of the other Scrooges fold like a bad suit pretty quickly, mm-hmm. right? And if you're really supposed to think that, he has been this way for this long. I mean, since he was a what early twenties, I would assume is what he was when he was with bell and all of that. Um, that's a long time. That's a lot of stuff you've got to dig your way out of. And mm-hmm. to do that overnight, I kind of felt like George C. Scott felt a little more realistic than any other. And I've not seen the Sims version. Um, but he, he felt that kind of resonated more with me. I'm like, I was kind of happy to see that he was reluctantly breaking out of that at Freddie's party where he, he, you could see where he was warming to the idea that Freddie was still, um, his sister's son. He loved his sister and that he was happy to see that Freddie was still thinking about him, but that he wasn't completely wounded by them making sense that he still got his hackles up. And it was that same old Scrooge where he's like, well, I don't need them and it's fine. And that was a dumb answer they gave and Mm -hmm. dot, dot, dot. So that almost made me happy. That felt more realistic. Not that I don't like the unrealistic versions Mm -hmm. if I'm putting them up against that. Because, spoiler alert, The Muppet Christmas Carol is my favorite version of A Christmas Carol. And I loved um, Michael Caine as Scrooge, even though he folded like a bad suit. (laughs) Pretty darn quickly. (laughs) When they fold, I feel like... You just said most of them fold like a bad suit (laughs) in these adaptations. But for me, in a weird way, I find that very realistic. Like if you're supposed to take this at face value, like put yourself in Scrooge's shoes, that you are being visited by three ghosts. Mm -hmm. I could see, I mean, it's hard to put yourself in that position, obviously, because it's never going to happen, right? But it's, (laughs) it's, uh, you know, I think a lot of people in that position, Scrooge would be terrified enough to fold more quickly, maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, the Alistair Sims version, it's funny that you mentioned Patrick Stewart's uh, <laughs> unrealistic way of celebrating at the end. Because the Alistair Sims version, I feel, is famous in a lot of people's mind for him literally doing the handstand at the end, like mm-hmm. standing on his head. He's so happy, do, practically doing flips that I'm alive. I've changed, you know, <laughs> but I loved it. I love that. But to your, both of your points, I, I do really like this scene in Fred's house. It just, it took me by surprise in this version, but I did like it. It was well, different. Julia mentioned uh, the, the scenes with, with bell, uh, and one of the ways that this movie actually deviates from the text is that there's a scene that sort of explains how Ebenezer became a miser. And it was he basically he did it all for love. Uh, he needed to he felt like he didn't have enough money. And, and as such, he'd never be good enough for Bell. And so that's why money became so important to him, except that it just sort of ran amok and took over. That became his main focus in life. As far as I know, that's not how it happened in the book. I think they wanted to add this scene, which goes more towards showing that this is someone who's just you know, really damaged. He's been dealt a bad hand. Uh, His mother apparently died in childbirth having him. He was estranged from his father. I mean, 
this is someone who's just really been beaten up by life. And even trying to do the right thing for the wrong reasons, that all backfired on him and made him even more miserable. There was something about that that, uh, that I, I liked. I kind of feel like if you were to make another version of it now, uh, and someone's going to sooner or later, you'd probably see even more of that. Like, you know, we love our anti-heroes nowadays, right? We like these flawed characters who have a lot to overcome. We like to see people who have this sort of dark past uh, that, that makes them the way they are. I'm not sure that they, there was too much of that in the original text, but certainly modern tellings try to bring that out. Mm-hmm. So full disclosure – in every telling of this story, the stuff with Bell in the past is my least favorite part. Mm-hmm. And I, I like what they're going for, but I just don't – when I'm watching A Christmas Carol, that's always the part I kind of want to fast forward through. Mm. I want to get to um, – I love the stuff with Fezziwig in the past, and I love everything with present and future. It's the Bell stuff that I find a bit tedious for me, and that didn't change with this one either. Okay. You know, um, so I was looking up some of the the differences between this movie and others and uh, this movie itself and the the text. And one of the weirdest ones, and I don't know if anyone has an explanation for it, is when we see Scrooge's sister, the sister, at least as she's portrayed in this movie, uh, appears younger than he does. Now, if Scrooge's mother mm-hmm. died in childbirth, well, then how does he have a sister? Unless she's adopted right. or a half-sister or something like that. Did you guys notice that too? Yes. Yeah, she looked very young. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so one well, of the I know the actress in this movie was from Willow. So when I saw her, I'm like, oh, that's the girl from Willow. <laughs> Wasn't it Morgana or something like that? Or was it her daughter? No, I it, it was excited because I love that movie. <laughs> that's where I recognized her from, too. <laughs> well, speaking but, um, of uh, celebrity appearances in there, we also have uh, Edward Woodward, who's the ghost of Christmas Present. Um he was on this British like cop show or something like that in the late eighties and early nineties. I forget what it was called. I think he played like some kind of like spy or, or, or police officer. But the one who I remember, the one when I looked when I saw the movie, and I'm like, I know who that dude is. It's the guy who plays Fred. Uh, so do you guys yeah. know who what what role he's most famous for? Oh yes, Robin Hood Men in Tights. <laughs> That's where I know him from. Interesting. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. It's wonder... favorite movie, isn't it? Not my favorite. <laughs> One what, of my favorite. What do you most associate him with, Anthony? That's where I knew him from, too. Oh, okay. So, I mean, I was, I'm older than you guys. So, I remember uh, Cheers, where there was a character, Robin Colcourt, who was Rebecca's love interest. I didn't know he was on Cheers. Yeah, he was on Cheers for a couple of seasons. He was like a millionaire or billionaire guy who was uh, courting uh, Rebecca. Oh, that is so funny. How wide we swing. (laughs) And he just passed away a couple years ago. Is that when they all go to England on Cheers and they get married? No, it's not. Never mind. No, I don't recall that. I thought they went away somewhere for somebody's wedding. I don't know. Never mind. It's been a while since I've seen that they show. They may have. There's like 500 episodes of that show, so it's <laughs> easy to lose a couple in the mix. So when I was doing research about the differences between the book and this version of the film, mm-hmm. and again, it may just be because I haven't read the book in a while, it all, I always forget that in the book, the ghosts visited him on separate nights, whereas every version of this movie, they tend to visit him all at once, the same night. On the same night, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, so that surprised me. 
when I read that because it's been a while since I've read the book. But does that then mean that in the book it doesn't begin on Christmas Eve? It, well, it would that, have to. That's why I was confused because I thought it did begin on Christmas Eve because it took place uh, seven years to the day since Marley died. But Right. And then there's – even in the book there's that line where um, Cratchit – is saying, you know, tomorrow's Christmas, you know, it comes but once a year, and, you know, okay, come in all the earlier the next day, all that kind of stuff. So the story has to begin on Christmas Eve. So if the ghosts are coming on successive nights, then we're talking like December, what, 28th? Which 28th? You know what, maybe back in those days wouldn't have been weird because we celebrate Christmas now as this one day. On the 25th, mm-hmm. whereas way back in the day, you would have uh, from 25th through, what is it, January 5th, the Epiphany. So that's when you have the, the 12 days of Christmas, the Christmas season, which ends on 12th night, which is this big celebration, etc. So maybe, I'm just sort of reading into it, uh, it could have, it, it still could make sense if that's how they were celebrating it. Could you imagine if t- if uh, Bob Cratchit had the audacity to ask for all 12 nights of Christmas <laughs> off? Scrooge would have blown a gasket. <laughs> you know, one thing is, in every movie version I've ever seen, Cratchit's house always looks like much nicer than you'd imagine for someone who makes, what does he make, like five shillings a week or something like that, or 15 shillings? <laughs> You know, he's got like a family of five and like, you know, but he always has like a nice house. He has like this nice dining room. And they always talk about how there's not a lot of food on the table, but the house looks nice. Well, so that so going back to what I said about how uh, it surprised me, his defiance at his nephew's house, when he's trying to, when Bob makes a toast and he's just like, well, he makes a good point. If it wasn't for me, they wouldn't have any food at all. Mm-hmm. Like that made me laugh again. I was like, wow, this Scrooge is taking him a while to get there, man. <laughs> I remember uh, when I was in undergrad, I took uh, this philosophy class. I actually double majored in English and philosophy because I was going for the big bucks. And we actually, <laughs> this was a class on, um, I forget what the class was, actually, but my teacher was was a Marxist, and he was talking about how this is really, you know, very much about, um, you know, the, the alienation between the capitalist and the worker. And once the capitalist can see the humanity of the worker, then, then he can be redeemed. And he totally told the story through, it's not a ghost story or a Christmas story, but rather a cautionary tale about the dangers of capitalism and having too much uh, wealth and power controlled by the few. Uh, and... You know, it was a philosophy class, but it, you, you can sort of see where he's coming from there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, totally. Maybe there is um, – it would be interesting to see like like a modern retelling of it, like in, in today's climate of, of uh, economic disparity or wealth distribution or seeing the whole thing just taken from another from another angle. I always like when these stories, I'm like, okay, they've been done so many times in so many different ways. And the way that I feel like people innovate on these nowadays is with the format. Like, is it going to be a, a CGI version? Or uh, they sort of superimpose the story on something else. You know, like they'll take the Flintstones and like, oh, let's do a, a Christmas Carol Flintstones. But no one ever would t- I, I would love to see someone tell the story through the eyes of the Ghost of Christmas Future. And just like, you know, like let's see the whole thing from his perspective. Or maybe there's some sort of like, you know, gender reversal. Maybe like we see it like through the, from the female perspective. What would it be like if uh, Cratchit was a, a single mom or something like that trying to raise a family in, in that kind of environment? I think something like that could be really interesting, but I don't think it would find a big audience because people just kind of want 
the same thing over and over again. And that's why you, mm-hmm. every version of it is just, it's the same, only very slightly different. It usually comes down to who the starring uh, uh, actor is. I love the idea of telling you from the ghost's perspective. Because like, <laughs> where do they go afterward? You know, like what happens to them? I think they, they die, don't they, in the book and in the movie? Um, well, they, present definitely dies. Yeah. Past gets snuffed out. It's kind of like dying. Yeah. But future just kind of goes well, future, away. Well, future, I feel, can't <laughs> die because there's always going to be a future. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would be in it. I'd watch it. I would definitely watch that. My favorite, like, subversive version of this tell is, is Scrooged. It's probably lots of people's favorite yep. because Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely a darker, twisted <laughs> take on the whole story. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I am always game for a Christmas Carol adventure. Yeah, I'd love to see someone do that. Anyway, yeah. so should we get to our, our uh, Linus moment, which I, I think we, we don't even really need to do. Like, this is probably where <laughs> the Linus moment comes from. This idea, this one moment of, of revelation that changes a character. Um, well, well, we did say, we have said before... That any good version of a Christmas Carol should have the Linus moment. Every good version of the Grinch should have the Linus moment too, because they could just as easily be called the Scrooge test or the Grinch test. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now let's Absolutely. let's remember this is this episode's airing on uh, as Christmas past, so maybe not everyone listening knows what the Linus moment is. Who wants to explain that? Go for it, Julia. So the Linus moment we learned a few weeks ago came from Tim Babb of Can't Wait for Christmas. One of his listeners, I guess, coined the term the Linus moment. And it directly references um, Charlie Brown Christmas, where Linus is standing there and Charlie is frustrated. And he's like, what is Christmas even all about? And Linus is like, I could tell you what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And he gets up on stage and he proceeds to recite scripture as that is what Christmas is all about. The broader overreaching theme is Christmas is more than about gifts and stuff and decorations that Christmas is about something more and that something more can change from movie to movie. (laughs) But Mm. the idea is if a Christmas movie has a Linus moment, it has a moment in which we talk about how there is something more above and beyond the things that contribute to what Christmas is all about. But it's literally the moment you could pause the film and Linus could pop up and say, this is what Christmas (laughs) is all about. Charlie Brown. That's right. So now tell me this. Does Scrooge have a true Linus moment? Because let's think about what makes him change. It's really his realization that if he doesn't, he's going to die alone and everyone's going to keep hating him. Is is that a nut? Like, is that that's really what it's not like he sees the true meaning of Christmas. Maybe he does when he realizes that Tiny Tim's going to die uh, or, or would die unless he changes. But everything else is really all about him where he's just terrified that in his remaining years, uh, and especially where is that that scene at the uh, the rag and bone shop, you know, when they're going through all of his stuff after he dies for the ghost of Christmas future, mm-hmm. they're just like selling off all of this stuff. That seemed to be that seemed to have almost as much impact on him as did seeing Tiny Tim. So I would argue seeing Tiny Tim is a true Linus moment. Mm-hmm. Seeing Bob at Tiny Tim's grave specifically. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you could 
go to every moment Scrooge sees Tiny Tim as a moment, but it's a moment he realizes that Tiny Tim is going to die if he doesn't change. He could help Tiny Tim and, by extension, others like him by giving money to these less fortunate. That's the true Linus moment in the film. Not so much, don't kill me, uh, you know, I don't want to die, I'll change. It's seeing Tiny Tim and realizing I can help him with my fortune. Yep, absolutely. I agree. <laughs> if there was no Tiny Tim, it would be hard-pressed to say there is a, a substantial Linus moment that's not self-serving, right? Because yeah, right. the idea is that it's not a self-serving moment. Mm-hmm. It's you Since you brought the grave scene, though, um, the grave scene, the moment where he's begging not to die, like he can change and everything like that. I like the versions where they obscure the date on the grave, like, and they imply, oh, he's actually going to die this Christmas. Like, I think that gives it more urgency. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. Of, there have been a few versions that have obscured the date and implied it's going to be this Christmas. Oh, that's interesting because we do know he's in poor health, right? Like at the very beginning when he meets Marley, he's saying, "Oh, you know, you're probably a hallucination because I have stomach problems or, or something like that." Mm-hmm. Do we know how old he's supposed to be? No, I don't recall from the text, but he's it's just, been a while for me since I've read it. He's just old, right, in general? Yeah. 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 Well, it's Victorian London, too. How long did people live back then? Yeah, that's the thing. You think of all the smoke coming out of the factories and all that. Like, it wasn't really a healthy place to live. <laughs> and that's the thing. We sort of idealize Victorian uh, Christmas. And you'd imagine, like, the streets of London— uh, there were no cars, so there were a lot of horses and a lot of these sights and sounds and smells that come with having horses everywhere. Uh, you, you ever see like uh, the Victorian dandies where they'd have those things called a nosegay? You know, like on their wrist, they'd have these flowers or something like that. That's where that comes mm-hmm. from. So they could walk down the street smelling flowers instead of the alternative. Uh, well, it's funny that you bring that up because we discussed once um, if you could go to any time period and live for a bit what would it be? And I think Julia said Victorian London and Tom and, and Tom replied, see, when I think of Victoria London, I think of all the diseases, the smell, the dirt. Like <laughs> he just listed everything that's wrong with that romantic notion. <laughs> no, it's true. And, and Christmas back then, you know, this is this whole discussion that um, kind of goes back to your reference to the man who invented Christmas before, before Dickens came along, like shortly before Dickens came along. Christmas was very, very different in London. It was m- a little bit more like what we would consider Mardi Gras. It was this sort of like drunken street festival. Um, and there's, there's a whole number of branches of, of history that spin off from that that actually influences why we say Merry Christmas today in America instead of Happy Christmas. Uh, that relates somehow. And if you listen to the 2018 season of Christmas Past, hint, hint, you might hear more about that. Um <laughs> But th- th- there's, yeah, it's just, it was a very, very different time. And I kind of feel like people think it would be fun to see, but you probably see some things you wouldn't be uh, too excited about. There was actually a, a PBS reality show called Victorian Slum House. Have you guys seen that or heard of it? No. It, Not that one. This It is exactly what it sounds like, where people live in a house, in um, a, a replica of a Victorian house, where they would have to live as you know, everyday Victorians would, where, you know, food is scarce and just resources are very different and it's really, really hard to get ahead. And um, it's it's actually pretty, pretty interesting. I'm sure you could find it online, but there were just all kinds of things that it's just unimaginable uh, what life must have been like there. Think so like, was it like, 
was it like Big Brother in a Victorian house? Like just whoever couldn't put up with it. <laughs> Kind of. So there were um, different families and each of them uh, were occupying different stations in life. So some people were, you know, landowners and some people were commoners. So you see a lot of people, you know, like making matchboxes uh, to make ends meet, which, um, you know, that was like a total thing. Some kids working. I mean, most chimney sweeps were like 11 year old kids because they could fit down chimneys. You know, so we, you know, we sort of have the the movie version of chimney sweeps, but that was a terrible, terrible thing. Like from start to finish, the whole idea of even having to sweep chimneys for a living was just a horrible thing. And then like all the horrible things that could happen to you uh, as a chimney sweep. So yeah, Victoria, I I would definitely not want to go back to Victorian London to experience Christmas <laughs> unless I were very, very wealthy. If, uh, I had to listeners... preface that. I remember <laughs> prefacing that whole conversation by saying, gender issues aside, given the fact that a woman going back into any time period mm. is a bad idea in general, I think that dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Sorry, I think it was probably the clothes. But even then, that's, that would just be a nightmare. <laughs> and I would just like to say real quick, if you want to hear some of the horrible things that could happen to you going down a chimney, listen to <laughs> our most recent podcast episode when we discuss the movie Gremlins. Oh, I know oh. you guys were. Re- <laughs> has, has that come out yet? I know you guys were recording that uh, this weekend. It drops tomorrow. Oh, OK. Awesome. And so this episode, I should say, is coming out on Halloween, which, by the way, I don't think I mentioned this at the beginning. This is why we're discussing a ghost story, because it is a nice little uh, fits nicely in the Venn diagram between Christmas and Halloween. Okay, well, so. All right. So now for another Christmas analogy, let's wrap this one up with a bow. Let's rank it. Um, Okay, so 10 is highest, right? I'm going to give. Yes. Given this one a Three and a half, maybe a four. I'm feeling magnanimous today. I'm giving it a four. Ooh, interesting. What about you, Julia? I'm going with a six. Interesting. I'm trying Anthony to think why it takes the longest. I do because I'm, all, I'm trying to think why I gave other <laughs> Christmas Carol versions. We've covered so many at this point. I, I mean, I didn't hate this one. It's just not my favorite. I'm going to give it a five. So, who wants to do a quick average? I'll do it. Okay. What was it? Five, six, and what? Uh, I gave it a four. Five, six, and a four. So, so it's three. Fifteen divided by, or five rather. Yeah. Fifteen yeah, divided it's by five. Okay. All right. With an average score of five, I think we can close out this episode of Tis the Podcast slash Christmas Past. Thank you so much, Julia <laughs> and Anthony, for doing this. Happy Halloween to you guys. What are you doing for Halloween? Uh, I've got four kids, so we're trick or treating as a group. <laughs> which I always look forward to. Mm-hmm. And we got full-size candy bars to give out this year, so I feel like we've upped our Halloween game. Ooh, what kind are you giving out? Oh, whatever we bought on Amazon. I think it's like Reese's <laughs> Peanut Butter Cups, Hershey's Bars, and Hershey Almond Bars. So it's like the real winner with the two ugly stepsisters, right? Like everybody's <laughs> going, oh, and there's Kit Kat bars in there too. I like Kit Kat bars, so it's not a bad mix. Oh, Reese's and Kit Kat. Yeah. Halloween is also, it, it was always the one holiday where you get a bunch of candy that you would never eat otherwise, but you'd somehow be excited about it. Like I'd always get uh, Baby Ruth candy bars and, and Crackle. And it's like, I hate that stuff, but you'd be so excited to get it for Halloween. Just like scarf it all down. It's like, it's like the one time a year I'll have an Almond Joy. Or, you know, like, what do I do? <laughs> Uh, so me and Sarah have no kids yet, so we're not going trick or treating, but, uh, this upcoming Saturday, well, 
this past Saturday when the episode drops, our town does a big Halloween parade and then, you know, it's a big night out for people in the local bars and stuff. So we're going to dress up and just go to the parade and have fun that day. I'm pretty sad about my neighborhood. When we, I moved to California about five years ago, and it's very – I'm in the Silicon Valley area, and it's very much like that. And there's just not a lot of kids. Um, so – and our house is down this, like, walkway. So we, we figured we wouldn't get a lot of people coming down our walkway. So we sat at the end of the walkway the first year. We had all these candies to give out, not a single trick-or-treater. So what we oh. did – uh, is reverse trick-or-treated, where my wife and I actually went knocking on people's doors and asking if they wanted any candy from us. Um, <laughs> we figured it would also be a nice way to meet our neighbors. Uh, that didn't go so well either. So I'm grateful <laughs> that this year uh, I'm actually going to be in India for Christmas, or, or Halloween rather. So I'm leaving on Saturday for India, and I'll be there through November 2nd. Um, and wow. I'm pretty excited because it's right before Diwali, which is kind of their version of Christmas. Yeah. Yep. Last year, I was there right before Christmas, and they do have Christmas in India. It's really, really different, but, you know, from the when it was um, colonized by the British, that influence is there. So especially the area I was in, Pune, which is uh, kind of like a college area, there are lots of, of uh, Christian churches, and so there's like that influence, but uh, Christmas is just a completely different ball game there. So this year, I I'm excited imagine. to see what Diwali is like. That sounds so cool. Yeah. What yeah, a great experience. So can I tell you a quick story about Halloween here, since you mentioned nobody went down your long driveway? Sure. So so growing up in this town, Nyack, New York, uh, my mom and her old family grew up in this area. And there was this house with a long winding driveway on top of the hill. Nobody would go up to it because it was just such a long walk, all uphill, whatever. Mm. Little did any of the neighborhood kids know that the people would – tape a hundred dollar bill to the front door just to see what kid made the effort to go up and the only way oh anyone gosh. in the town discovered that was when a new family moved in and their child was the first one to walk up and took a hundred dollar bill oh my gosh that must yeah. be a walk if nobody did it well now yeah, i know how to get more exciting. trick-or-treaters yeah yeah there <laughs> you go <laughs> maybe that'll work <laughs> All right, guys, so let's bring this episode of, uh, I don't know, is this an episode of Tis the Podcast or Christmas Past? Who knows when it's Halloween identity <laughs> becomes something else altogether. Either way, I had a lot of fun talking to you guys and reliving uh, the Christmas Carol, the George C. Scott version. So thank you guys very much. Happy Halloween. Merry Christmas. Thanks for having Thanks, us. Thanks, Brian. <laughs>